Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by guest Mason Bain. Mason, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be here. I am really excited to talk about this. It's one of my, it's the, the combination of my two favorite topics, music and pricing. <laughs> yeah, I know that uh, you, you studied music uh, mm-hmm. when you were younger, right? Like your undergrad, maybe? Yeah, my um, I, undergrad degree is in songwriting and professional music. So I I am fascinated as a um, musician. I didn't find you because of music. I found you because I um, I'm a video producer by day, and then you know by night I sit in the cave and I write music. Um, <laughs> but I found you because of the video, and I was fascinated by the pricing. But then after watching a bunch of your videos, I learned that that you were a musician. You are a musician, you know. But mm-hmm. you 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 um you studied and mm-hmm. want to do like songwriting, and so. I'm very interested in now at your level of knowledge on pricing, mm-hmm. but with your, you know, old passion for music, what would you tell young Jonathan Stark on how he should uh, make music if, if it were today? Yeah. I mean, there's just, we'll definitely dive into that. There's a million things going on there and, and regrettably most people never found me because of music. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, like you, so you're not alone. Um, the, uh, yeah, let's just jump in there. We could jump in anywhere. The advice I would give to my younger self would be to decide if I was an artist or a, an entrepreneur. And because I, I wanted the, the, at the time, you know, it's early twenties. So this is, you know, I was in my early twenties and the time period would have been, you know, early ish nineties. I, I wanted to act like an artist in terms of the kinds of songs I wrote and the kinds of songs the band played and the places we played and and like our attitude about uh, outside influences and all that real prima donna kind of attitude, which is fine if you want to be an artist and you're going to challenge norms and those sorts of things. But uh, but I also wanted to be paid handsomely for it, or at least at least get make a, a nice living, a decent living. And those two things uh, were very mismatched. I had. I didn't have a clear objective. I didn't have a, uh, and I definitely didn't have a strategy to achieve it. And plus, you know, I was like basically married to four other guys who also were not, in retrospect, not aligned on the same plan. Uh, we just loved jamming and we rehearsed our faces off and we were tighter than anything. Yeah. But <laughs> so what? You know, yeah. so what? So, you know, like the, the big thing, the big thing, so that was one thing decide if you're an artist or, or an entrepreneur. And I was kind of like, I had one foot in both worlds without knowing it. So sometimes I'd make decisions based on one objective or the other. And the other thing was, and this is why I don't see myself ever, ever, ever going back into music is because it was about me, not the audience. I I always wanted to be like, I always wanted to impress my friends with a, like a shred shredding solo, or I wanted to play stuff that I knew was hard and other guitar players would go, wow, that was hard. But, But I never once, never once thought about making someone in the audience dance or cry or sing along or anything never so i'm i'm fascinated with that because it's like um as musicians we naturally tend to try to be musicians for musicians you know so like do. as you well yeah, i guess some do i feel like you press the instrument you know like you try to keep pushing it further and further and then the there ends up being a rift between you and um you know, potential audience people, but it's, it's cool to see like the Jacob Colliers of the world, you know, that are just insane musicians. 
I don't know how much reach he has to like non-musicians, but at least the musicians like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, he's, he's got them. Um, yeah. I don't know. Who and that I don't know is, if that's but... knowing your audience, but, but for, for me, I was never good enough musician to be a musician's musician. You know, I can just like hit, hit the bass, uh, bass, um, subpar level, you know, like average <laughs> guitar player. My, uh, I feel like if, if I had anything, it'd be in writing. Um, so I, I do music composition for, for films and I've, that's, I think what I enjoy the most of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, one, because, um, I don't have to be young and pretty and I, I have neither <laughs> of those things on my side. So, so if yeah, I don't yeah. have to be in front of people, then, you know, I'm good. Cause like, it, you know, John Williams, amazing musician, but like, He's not necessarily a looker, you know? Yeah, not on the cover of GQ. And he can be because he's, <laughs> he's John Williams, you know? Um, yeah, well, let's go in, the, let's so go in there. Uh, that, yeah, that opens up a whole bunch sure, of topics sure. because saying, like, how would a musician make money these days is, like, comically broad because there's so many different mm-hmm. categories of musician and kind of music. So you've got everything from artists to, you know, like, entrepreneurial kind of band kind of thing. You've also got mm-hmm. entertainers where yep. you definitely need to be pretty if you're going to be a pop star. And it's pretty, pretty, pretty rare when you find exceptions to that. Um, or you could go into, like you said, like you could go into songwriting or arranging or production or guitar repair or, I mean, there's just so many ways mm-hmm. to go. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think, if we re- try to reverse engineer, if you, if you, if you start off and say, look, I want to, I want to be a business person. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to use these musical skills that I've gained over the years to make money. I'm not out there trying to impress my friends or other musicians. Uh, I'm out there to make money, you know, using these skills that I already have and just be unapologetic about it. It's like, you know, people who work at Google don't work at Google because they love it. They work at Google because they want to make a bunch of money. There's mm-hmm. nothing, nothing wrong with, you know, getting your uh, needs covered by your job. So if I were, if I was going to look at it like that, if just say, okay, I've got these skills and I want to make a good living. What's, you know, there's nothing to, it's not selling out. That's like living. So if you do come at it from that perspective, I think there are the two obvious things that stand out to me where musicians are clearly doing really well. At least some, there's three. There are three, three ways that musicians are doing really well. They're, they're, they're making good profit based on the time that they're putting in. Uh, one thing you already mentioned, which is scoring films or writing music for films or video games or whatever, but, but um, creating music for these kinds of media properties where it really can't not have music. Like it wouldn't be yeah. a movie. It's extremely rare. It's it's slapping music to something that would make money. Yeah. You know? Right. So that's one thing. And it's not a guaranteed path. Nothing is. Yeah. But that's that is clearly the top end of that is real high. Um, another thing where the top end is real high, which requires... Uh, the problem with the movies is it's got a lot of gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. And John, John Williams wasn't born the John Williams. He was born regular old John Williams. And he's famous now because he's done the work and done a great job and whatever, fostered the relationships. I don't know what he's done, but he wasn't born the John Williams. So anybody who's listening to this, who's, you know, thinking like, oh, you know, I want to make money in music. I want to be an entrepreneur and I can write stuff. Then you need to make yourself, you know, instead of just insert name here, I am, you know, Mason Bain. I am the Mason Bain. And people are like, oh, my God. So basically you need to get famous. 
Yeah. In your but in your industry, not famous like on spot, you know, top streams on Spotify, like famous to the kinds to, you know, directors or whoever whoever does the hiring in that. Yeah, I guess it would be the director. So if you, you know, that path looks like you're doing stuff for free for indie films, doing something amazing, um, maybe the film wins an award, and, you know, you just work your way up. It's not an overnight success sort of thing, and you're already kind of on that path, so I'm sure you already know all that. The two other ways I can think of, the next one is to do the, um, oh, okay, what's her name? Uh, but just to do the, the kind of um, Kevin Kelly, 1,000 True Fans thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you kickstart your next album or whatever, or you you know you you sell, you go on tour, you know post COVID, hopefully you go on tour and you do like a, a living room tour and people pay a thousand bucks a pop for people to come in and see you, and you just sell to your core fans and you slowly grow, maybe grow past that, you know one thousand true fans and you you can make a really nice living if you want to be uh, more of a performer by catering to those fans and selling things like birthday greetings for 50 bucks or mm-hmm. you know you know like on cameo or something and you, there's so many ways to do this that didn't exist in the 90s when when I would have been probably jumping at them like the internet the first time I saw the internet was like almost when I was getting out of music well I wasn't quite not at that point I was getting out of the band at that point I was going yeah. solo and the internet wasn't even a thing like when I saw the internet I was like Oh my God! Radio doesn't matter anymore. Like radio is not the gatekeeper anymore. I can go direct to fans and things like CD Baby cropped up and like the whole concept of an MP3 and you know Napster and all that. And I was like, awesome! Steal my music, please. I can't get anyone to listen to it. The whole point was to get people to come to shows and pay for a ticket. So yeah. So there's. The, the- I remember hearing a lot of stories about people like um, putting putting you know music on Napster with a different title, but putting their music in it if it kind of fit the same thing. Like. You know. <laughs> If there was like a someone who's in like the same genre as Michael Jackson, you'd put like Thriller and then hope that people would download it and then be like, who is this guy? Oh, that's funny. Yeah, Yeah, there's another. I don't know how healthy that is, but it's pretty funny. Yeah, it is funny, right? So you could do that kind of stuff. But really, I think it boils down to the same kind of strategies that you would use for any other kind of solo business. You know, I'm thinking solo singer songwriter because that's how I kind of finished up my my music stint. I did solo singer songwriter stuff for like a while after my band broke up. And, uh, you know, if I was going to do it again, if I was going to do it all over again, now I would set it up like a business. I would painstakingly build, you know, brick by brick super fans, you know, try and get a thousand super fans who are basically going to buy anything I release. And, you know, it's, it's kind of the Patreon model. I'm not a Patreon fan, but for, for reasons we could talk about. But that's the idea. Build a small audience of people who just love what you're into and and to whom you're a rock star you are famous yeah you know it doesn't you don't you're never it's the days of like the eagles or the 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 rolling stones those days are gone like there will never be another eagles or rolling stones or beatles it won't happen well there's a there's a lot of voices in music i think Mm -hmm. competing for Mm -hmm. time i mean the same is true for for any kind of um thing that the internet's made possible today that that wasn't Mm -hmm. then yeah. Do you think it's more important to find, you know, your specific audience? You know, may, may, maybe your your audience is, I mean, similar to the other things like a psychographic or a demographic or, you know, my music's for single moms or my, you know, <laughs> whatever. Right. It's almost certainly, music is almost certainly going to be segment. Your audience is almost certainly going to seg- be segmented by psychographics, which is people who believe a certain thing. So like think about Rage Against the Machine. Like 
Please tell me you know who that is. Yes. yes, Okay. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So they've got a particular vibe and Tom Morello keeps that vibe alive. I think still where he's, he's, it's not just about the music. It's about the artists too. And whether or not you resonate with that artist and you know, you're going to, well, in, in his case, or certainly in Rage's case, they're like, they're not for a particular kind of person. They're very much for another kind of person. Uh, Bob Marley is another one who has, who's, I think it's, it's kind of shocking to me that Bob Marley has so much popular appeal. Uh, but, but he was one of those people where the music was for something. It was, it was, a, it was like a mission, you know, or um, Woody Guthrie to go even farther back. Like these are, these are like protest songs, you know, that's like a particular use of music. And you know, that might not be your thing. You might be a a wicked party band, like funky, funky meters or something, or or the funky meter, whatever they're called, or P funk, you know, like you're just, you're just a party band. You're not trying to, you just like, what's the point? The point is have fun. Let's, you know, get up, shake your ass. That's going to be a very different kind of show than, a rage show. I mean, people are going to be jumping around like crazy, but it's a different kind of vibe. So if you can find a vibe, what's another, a great example? Um, great example, uh, fish where they just got an audience that wants to behave in a particular way with a bunch of other people who want to behave the same way. So like a Seth Godin, people like us do things like this. We sit on the lawn, we maybe pay attention to the band, maybe not. We smoke a bunch of weed, you know, we do stuff in the parking lot. It's just like a, it's like the whole experience. So, you know, I, I think that's the, but, but it's never, but fish is never going to be like mainstream. Sure. You know, just, just, but to those people, it's number one, you know? Yeah. It's a lifestyle, right? Like I've only been to one fish show and, and my only, not warning, but my, like the reputation was that it was like going to see the Grateful Dead. And it's like, these guys don't sound anything like the Grateful Dead, but I was like, mm-hmm. oh, but the show is like going to a Grateful Dead show. Gotcha. You know, so you're creating an experience for these this very specific um, type of person, like the type of person who's going to to enjoy that kind of experience, and then they'll bring other people into it, ideally. But yeah, I mean, it's like it's the same thing I tell more traditional businesses or or consultants or whatever niche way way down into a particular target market because if you do, then it's much easier to hit home runs for them. And if you can hit if you start hitting home runs for people, they're going to start talking about you. And they'll go out and find you more fans instead of just being like, oh, it was pretty good. Had a, had a good beat. It was yeah. okay. <laughs> wasn't too loud. Or well, it was kind of fast. It was just sort of fast, you know, where they're just kind of like, it's just bouncing off them. And it's it's just not making any kind of connection. So specifically in my case, I um I need to be famous to directors. Yes. Usually they, they are the ones that like push for. Mm-hmm. Composers being hired. Sometimes it's producers pushing and other stuff, but generally sure. directors. Mm-hmm. How would you recommend specifically doing that? Because it's I found that I've tried a lot of things within music, but I mm-hmm. always end up trying to cater to musicians because that's the people that I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, so even in my video work, I, I I've tried to to niche into that industry of just doing videos for music manufacturing companies, and I've done plenty, but there's just not not a ton of money money to be made from what I found in that specific industry, mm. just because they, they run on really slim margins and stuff. So it's, it's right. hard to, to get them to spend money on a video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, it- you know, just from like passive information, cause I, I'm a, a nerd that looks at every, you know, new piece of gear that comes out and I read up and study and watch all these demos just cause it's fun to me. But mm-hmm. I, that that's a lot of not getting famous to directors. Yeah. 
Right. So, so the big picture here is that you need to decide who your audience is. Is your audience other musicians and you do like a YouTube gear channel where you have like affiliate links for everything that you review and you know, you make your money that way. Or do you cater to directors, let's just say, and you only do stuff that's going to impress directors and you don't air quotes, waste your time reviewing gear because they couldn't care less about that. You know, you would spend your time talking about, um, I, I mean, ideally you'd talk about results that your scores had or testimonials from indie directors that you were able to do some work for and, and, you know, a highlight reel, that kind of stuff. And like, just check out the, check out, check this out. And it's not going to be like, it's not going to be like, um, oh my God, that's the most insane melody I've ever heard. It's more like, wow, that music just does an unbelievable job supporting the vision, you know, for the scene or this, this overall movie. Like, like think of Harry Potter without that intro, that, that intro theme. It's, it's not Harry Potter. Yeah. Like if you take that off, it's, 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 it's gone. And the, and the melody is insane. It's like, well, it's just so weird. It's such a weird, I mean, if you've ever played it, it's like a bizarre melody. It's just like part of the, uh, the DNA of same thing with like Lord of the Rings, you know, you hear the music and instantly you you know what the scene is kind of thing or like here comes Darth Vader. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, and of course, we've we've heard those things a million times, and that's why we associate it with them. And it could have been different, presumably. But surely, if you watch it, you're like, wow, that music perfectly supports the vibe that should be coming across. So what is the director going to want? The director is going to want everything, not just the music, but everything to contribute to their vision for what the moment, whatever the moment is. The actors, the dialogue, the lighting, the lens they use, and the music. And if you are enhancing and not detracting from the vibe in any given situation, then I would imagine, I'm not a director, but I have to imagine with such a big sort of cooperative undertaking, like a movie, they're going to be like, Oh yeah, this guy gets it. Like this guy knows how to make the, you know, like contribute to this sense of awe or fear or, um, or elation, you know, and it, no one's going to care like, wow, those are really clever note choice. <laughs> I mean, I, I yeah. just said that about Harry <laughs> Potter, but that's, you know, that's not why it works. It works because it's a little bit creepy, but not scary. This is like a little bit off, like the whole thing about Harry Potter, it's a little bit off kilter. The whole world's a little bit off kilter. Everything's crooked and the stairs move and Harry's hair won't stay combed. Everything's like messed up a little bit. And the the note choice in the melody supports that. It could have been a different melodic choice, but it does support that because it's like going out of key all over the place. So anyway, uh, so for for what you're doing, I think the solution, or not the solution, but the path, and it's a long, slow, hard path, is supporting the director's vision brilliantly with everything you do. And whatever, you know, if you do that by banging on a garbage can lid or with like the, the latest fifty thousand dollar like i don't know some kind of weird synthesizer thing it no one no one's gonna care mm-hmm. it could be a uh twenty dollar toy synthesizer yeah exactly but if, if it does the thing then it does the thing yeah if you're scoring toy story maybe that works i read a story about the composer for regrets or i think mm-hmm. it was a video he was talking about he um he bought a toy piano recorded it for this this thing called Rugrats, he didn't know anything about it, and then he yeah. he took it back to the store after he, he was done with it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> terrible decision because he you know, he can never recreate that sound now because it was just that one specific <laughs> terrible awesome. toy piano. Right, right. 
So yeah, I mean, that's it. So that's, that's one piece of it. But the other piece is like, it's been in my experience with folks who are in the sort of Hollywood LA space is building relationships, you know, being just like constantly checking in with people constantly and being like, Hey, you know, anything going on or, Oh, I just wanted to let you know, I just, you know, just got nominated for award. You know, the, the film I scored just got nominated for award at this little festival, you know, just checking in, checking in, checking in and being really, really social. Like, Sure. I think that's a big I think that's a big deal. So I see a lot of composers um push marketing as it's very it feels like their audience is an audience rather than directors, if that makes sense. Because yeah, like maybe elaborate. It's it's so awards and such. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, but also I've never met a director who cares about that, you know? They're just like, Do I like your thing? If so, cool, let's try to work something out do something together yeah i mean nothing is gonna nothing is gonna be more persuasive than than i think who else hired you i think that's gonna be the most persuasive like if spielberg hired you for something forget it you'd be you'd be, never stop working right as, as long as you did it so like the first thing is like who hired the person who trusted this person who, who trusted mason to to with this work and then how good do i think it was like you know was spielberg happy about it or was like indie guy happy about it? So it's not that it's not that you're. I, I don't think it's. I think the, the winning an award thing is more about the director winning the award. Like the like if the director gets more famous. Like if you did, um, you know what was it? The I can't think of it. I can't think of the name of like Lucas's first movie, THX, whatever it was. Uh, and and you know and you just come up like. I don't know if John Williams did it, but I wouldn't be surprised if he just sort of came up with Lucas. Mm-hmm. So who who are the was, people? Yeah, over- yeah. There's a lot of really interesting relationships that happen between composers and directors. Where there, there's like two that'll pair up like almost for life. Forever. Yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. instances. Yeah. Totally. So John Williams works with Spielberg. Um, um, you know, there, there, there's a bunch of pairings. Right, and John Williams. Um, Christopher like Nolan's 80. worked with Zimmer. Yeah, he's he's getting up there. He's been doing it for a while. Right. So if, so you know if you hitched your cart to an up and coming director. They're just going to keep teaming up with you if you keep doing a good job. So you know it's a long it's a long path though. It's it's no I, you know what isn't, but it's it's a long road. You need to really enjoy doing it, love it, love seeing your music or hearing music in the film, love the process, uh, and just keep stacking the bricks. You know, I think so. Okay, so we talked about the uh, the sort of artiste approach where you connect with a an audience of a thousand true fans and you're as weird as you want to be you're like i don't know um sonic youth or you're just you're just out there bjork she's nuts you know what i mean and you just like totally go into artist mode and you just like you just build that that audience so that's sort of like the artist approach the film one is is a big one Uh, i think that's a that's a that's a career that's definitely a career it's a long game there's going to be you know, it's going to require some luck. It's going to require a lot of networking and uh, and time for that to pan out. But if you enjoy doing it, if if like that's great, and you've got a way to put Cheerios in the bowl in the meantime, then that's definitely an approach that has a really really high ceiling. Like the the amount of money you could make, you could basically write your own ticket if you know if you become the Mason Bain. And then the third thing is uh, is which also might be of interest to you is is like training or i don't think gear review has a real high top but it could it could 
but like you could go, you could decide that your audience isn't, you know, your, your audience isn't like an artist where they'd have normal people based on some psychographic in their audience in the, and with the film path, your audience is directors period. This third one is your, your audiences, musicians or other technicians who do what you do. And you would, you would cater all of your, uh, content and offerings to that group. And that looks like, um, selling like singing courses online or, uh, doing like really popular gear review, like a, a really popular YouTube channel where you're doing gear review for other gear heads, or maybe like probably more specific than that. Even like you just are into compressors or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like something hyper specific or mic placement. Like you're the mic placement guy. And you do every mic in every possible way and you break it down and like, this is what it sounds like. And, um, you know, you could, you, and then you sell like some kind of course off the back of it. So it's kind of like a training model and it might be, I mean, you can make a lot of money, a lot of money doing that. Like it's, it can be a really good passive income stream where you, you basically just create, keep creating videos, which you maybe like doing anyway mm-hmm. and you've got this maybe a free course that's a series of emails with videos in each on how to um you know get a better singing voice or get a bit be- you know like scream through your mix or whatever like i follow this one guy chris lipe and he's like a vocal coach and i like his approach there's a billion of them online but i like him you know i like his approach he's not foofy he you know he he's like clench down like you're trying to poop you know he's like a real real <laughs> straightforward guy yeah just cutting straight to the <laughs> yeah he's like he's just like a straightforward utilitarian guy and i just like his you know i'm aware of at least three other people who are essentially carbon copies of this guy or he's a carbon copy of them but they have a different attitude one of mm-hmm. super egotistical another one has a bunch of like like sub teachers that he kind of uh, hands off all of his videos to, I just don't click with them, but this guy I click with. So whatever, it's like, yes, there are probably a million of these already doing like whatever the thing is that might come to your mind or to the listener's mind, but selling to your peers is the third model that I think can have a very, very high upside, very high annual income. And it's extremely evergreen and it has, it can be, if you're not, if you're not just reviewing cutting edge, latest and greatest stuff, uh, or, or teaching something that's going to be out of style in six months. Like, oh, here's how you really get auto-tune perfect. Um, yeah, so, so those <laughs> are the three. The, the secrets of dubstep in uh, 2015. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. So what... Disco, the new thing. <laughs> right, right. So of those three things, I mean, I know you've been doing the film one, but did either of the other two yeah, feel so like a magnetic the, pull? The last one that you said, I have dabbled in. So I created a, a side business just because I had some free time. Mm-hmm. And I created a couple of courses for the purpose of selling the. Mm-hmm. Um, my my goal was to was to build them and then market it, but mm-hmm. it was it's been a very in the red so far sort of endeavor. Mm-hmm. What was the subject? Ju- uh, <laughs> uh, very specific. Um, uh, my friend Jacob Johnson plays guitar. He's so he's a like a monster virtuoso acoustic guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first course as a tester was him teaching a song that he was releasing at that point in time. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, with that, if someone finds it and they like that style of music, like they might be interested in buying it. But also um, his name isn't like, you know, Freddie Mercury or something to where it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Mm-hmm. 
again, not, I yeah. mean, he's he's an amazing musician. It's just I don't know exactly how many people, how many, you know, if I push it in front of the right faces, and then if those faces were like, oh, that's worth it, or if maybe his audience doesn't care about playing guitar, they just think like he's a good guitar player, and I enjoy it. Mm. You know? Yeah, that's so. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't count on that. Like that can happen, but I w- that wouldn't be part of my strategy. Is like, oh, maybe people will be fans of this music, and sp- it's like, it's that's one of those like, wait, who you're really talking to? So like this guy Chris Lipe I talked about. Like I couldn't care less about his original music. He has it, but I don't. I don't care. Like, you know, he his his like from a gymnastic standpoint, it's amazing what he can do with his voice. But you know, no offense, Chris, I, it's just not my style. Like I don't like listening to the kind of music that I like to perform. So it's just two different things. Like I don't, yeah. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, that can happen, but I wouldn't like make any decisions based on the hopefulness of that. That one specific thing. Yeah. You know, I think the thing that I see in a lot of people, because I follow a lot of musicians online naturally, um, Mm -hmm. but I I love the specific one thing they do, like review guitar pedals or uh, teach uh, music theory in a different way or all these other things. But I, I universally never do like their music. You know, yeah. and so I realized that I could spend my entire life pushing towards that and I might make money, but I kind of want to put my music in front of people and let them hear it. And mm-hmm. like at least some of them, I would like for someone to like it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that's definitely. And, yeah, so. and so I, I kind of pu- pulled back from that, yep. given that kind of uh, realization of mm-hmm. it. It's like I just I didn't want to become the gear review guy, review mm-hmm. guy, one, because I don't have chops to make people listen. And two. Uh, I, I write music and it ends up being pretty simple, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, I enjoy, it might sound weird, but I enjoy kind of facilitating emotion, which yeah. plays really well into film, you totally. know, because it's like you, you, you want people to feel certain things at certain times and, mm-hmm. you know, film and music has just always been the, the duo for me that I, I really enjoy both medium and I, I love it when I get to marry those two things. And yeah. so, yeah, very, yeah, I went very rabbit hole there, but I, I I think I'm still drawn back towards writing over uh, working for musicians, like being the musician, musician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And based on what you just said, like, like something, whatever, whatever, for whatever reason, like deep down, you want people to hear your music. You want people to like your music and you kind of don't care with people like your gear reviews, you know, money's nice, but if, you know, given the choice between same amount of money uh, writing music that shows up in a film and, you know, having a popular YouTube channel, you're going to pick film every time, right? So I'll, I'll kick it back. When I was in high school, I did uh, car tricks, you know, slide over. Okay. Now I'll do these tricks and now I really enjoy people's reactions. Like tricks are, are, are dumb, you know, like there's always just some little, little, little secret to it. And so yeah. that wasn't exciting to me, but like seeing people's faces when I did the thing, that was exciting. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I didn't want to like teach magic, you know. Yeah, exactly. I, right, right, I just right. I just enjoyed doing the magic for people because I enjoyed people being like, "Well, what in the world? That's crazy." One hundred percent. Yeah, and that's why I spent. And to talk talking back the music when I said I never thought about the audience, I didn't care what the audience did. I really didn't. Uh, I mean, I didn't want them to boo me or anything or the band, but it wasn't why I was there. Like I could, I could, someone could come up to me after the show and say that like the solo in green eggs and ham was amazing. And I'd be like, and th- but in my head, I'd be like, no, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So was, I, that's, it's just not the right medium for me. Like if you're a performer and you don't care what the audience thinks, like, like you, you know, you just need to go full artist and, and just do whatever the heck you want to do and just be comfortable with the fact that 
you might never find an audience because like maybe no one's going to care. So that's, you know, so that's probably, that sounds like that's out for you. It sounds like the training that, you know, catering to musicians kind of fetishes is not what you want to do. Uh, so the film thing sounds right up your alley and that's the way I am with writing, which is why I write all the time now, because I, I wrote when I was really young and it was always about the reader. It was never about the mechanics of writing or like, I never obsessed over grammar or the feeling of my mechanical pencil or anything like that, which is the way I treat a guitar. It just feels good. I just love the way it feels. I love the way it looks. I feel like it makes me look cool. But I don't, I, I don't think about, I'm not thinking about someone else. It's not in service of anyone else. Where writing, just like your card tricks, I was always trying to get a laugh. I always wanted to be like Dave Barry or George Carlin or Alan Watts and or Steve Martin and write something down that made like anybody laugh, like my mother, my friends at school. And so that, where I was trying to get, a, I was definitely trying to get a reaction in the audience there. So now when I look back on that, I'm like, man, I wish I had noticed that a lot earlier. Yeah. Yeah, and so you're I, noticing it so, with film. Yeah, because I, I enjoy it. I was going to go back to the the laughing. Um, Ditcherville makes me crack up oh. like every time. I yeah. it, it it makes me all giddy when I read it. I'm like, oh, that's extremely <laughs> savage. Like, savage. That, it's savage it's so snail. true, and that's what makes it funny, you know. Yeah. But then afterwards, I'm like, man, that's that's deep. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, I try. There there was one. I'm probably going to butcher uh, my memory of it, but it was. Um, I get the characters backwards, but one was like, you know, I want to want to make a bunch of money, and then the other, look at this guy, he's doing this thing and making a lot of money. Like, oh, well, that's easy because he's famous. And then the response was, we'll get famous then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, that's, yeah, that's that's that's, a, that's it. <laughs> yeah, if you, people do it all the time. Like they say it all the time. They're like, oh, that's easy for you because you're famous. And it's like, well, I wasn't born famous. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did stuff to become that. You know, it's like, and I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm not even close to famous, not even close. Like I I heard Seth Godin say, you know, Seth Godin, he's got like 19 best-selling New York Times best-selling books. And, you know, I feel like everybody knows who Seth Godin is, but lots, you know, like 99.999% of the world's population does not know who that is. (laughs) It's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's all silos. It's all filter bubbles now. So you just need to find the bubble you want to get famous in. And I will bet you, I will bet you, if you really researched the, the list of people who are actually getting movies made, that are even indie directors, I'll bet you it's not that long a list. I'll bet you, if you, you know, is it a thousand people? You know, I it's don't know. Big. Yeah. It can't be big. It can't be. So, you know, and you look around and if you find somebody whose work really resonated with you, you're like, oh, you know, maybe they're on Vimeo or something or wherever you're like, you know, you, I don't know where you would find them. I don't know anything about that stuff really, but there's got to be a directory or some award show or something where you'd get a list of these people who are doing stuff. And if you're like, oh my God, I love this work. I love this. I love everything about this, but the music or, or maybe the music's good, but I would have done something better or Uh, And just connect with those people and be like, you know, I just love the kind of films you're making and I feel like there's something I could contribute. We should keep in touch, you know, and, and just start making those relationships in a, in a real, in a way that does not scale, like in a real personal one-to-one way. And um, yeah. And just, I like to say, increase your luck surface area because, because luck, like luck, 
a lot of people say, oh, you know, I'm just lucky or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but if that same opportunity came to you and you weren't prepared, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been a lucky break. Like you, yeah. you, can, you contribute to your own luck. Like the opportunity still seems like complete karma when it comes up. But if you're not prepared to knock, you know, like when somebody throws a softball across home plate, but you're not prepared to hit it out of the park, then it's, you're not going to look back and say, well, that was lucky because nothing happened. Yeah. You Welcome struck to the out plate without a bat, you know? Yeah. You need, so, <laughs> a little, so little bit yeah, harder to... yeah, it's, it's lucky when they, it might be lucky for an opportunity to come, but you need to be prepared to hit it or to capture the opportunity for it to actually, in retrospect, look lucky, you know? So, I, well, I feel like, I mean, it, it sounds to me, I don't know if it's obvious to you, but it sounds to me like the, the film approach is 100% the way to go for you. And the next question that comes up is like, okay, well, how do I pay my rent, you know, in the meantime, if I'm doing like whatever pro, pro bono work for a, a brilliant, you know, artur friend from the film school in town you still got to make money and do you have so so what's that what's that trigger thought wise for so for me i um this year i took a full time mm-hmm. just that i could dedicate more time to playing music because mm-hmm. i i realized that when i was on my own for you know 100 freelance mm-hmm. that i spent a lot of time thinking i should be working rather than uh like relaxing and writing music because you know m- music writing music doesn't feel worky to me it feels like free time mm-hmm. which is really good if i want to do that for work if someone yeah. could pay me for that that'd be fantastic <laughs> um and i've done a lot of films um i just finished well my friend justin robinson uh, released a movie last year i mm-hmm. believe mm-hmm. called my brother jordan and it, it ended up getting like 15 million views i think wow something like that which is really cool to think about 15 million people here in music that you've written. Mm-hmm. But beat me by a mile. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, you know, I haven't had people like knocking down my doors, you know, trying to trying to right. get me to help them with their project. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think you do need, you know, I, I sort of caught myself before I said it. I think you need to be a little bit of a self promoter, but that doesn't have to be sleazy or spammy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could just be, you know, reaching out to people or just it really, I think there's networking is going to be critical and finding the people in the industry that you click with personality wise and, and art wise, you know, where it's just like, Oh, I love this kind of stuff. Or I'm looking for a new challenge. I'm looking for an action sort of movie, or I'm looking for a romantic comedy kind of movie. I want to stretch a little bit. Um, whatever it is, you know, if you, you know, I mean, maybe you find a niche inside of movies, like you just want to do horror movies or whatever and uh or drama and you find like a find like a a sort of niche for yourself there that would help you filter down the number of directors out there that are doing those kinds of things or at least known for those kinds of things and sort of reaching out to them and being like hey you know like i said before it's like i love your work i score films like you know here's one that got 15 million views um you know i know you probably don't have time to check it out but let's keep in touch that kind of thing yeah and eventually doing stuff like that, increasing your luck surface area, someone's going to be like, wow, this does sound amazing. And I'm looking for someone right now, or I know someone who's looking for something like this right now. And it seems like luck, but you made it happen. Like, like it doesn't just happen on its own. It's not like you just, you know, I remember being a musician thinking like, you know, being all ticked off, like, oh, I come up and discovered. I mean, I can play so fast. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, come on, 
Come beating on. down your college dorm uh, yeah. door. Yeah. I heard you play fast. Yeah. <laughs> Sinus. <laughs> you play that note so fast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So that, yeah, and I'm actually really happy to hear you've got a full-time job because I, I, you know, I've been out of music for a long time and I remember thinking back then that like, oh, well, I, I like playing guitar. So maybe I should like get in a wedding band. And I never did because I'm actually not good enough. I don't play covers. I'm a songwriter. So I, I never, yeah, it was like yeah. way too much work. <laughs> All original music at a wedding. Seems like it would go over. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really well. <laughs> yeah. Talk about not knowing your audience. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I, but I had the thought and I'm sure if I ever did it, I would have ended up just doing that. Cause I would have been like, cause the entrepreneur part of me would be like, oh, this is like sick money for doing nothing basically. Yeah. It, yeah. Cause like you, it just feels like fun. Um, but, uh, I don't know if you know who Derek Sivers is, but he's also a sort of ex-musician who ended up making a ton of money in business. And he he says, and he knows a million musicians because he's the guy that actually started CD Baby and that was like the biggest indie CD store on the internet for a long, long time. And he he says that the happiest musicians he knows now, these days, the happiest ones are the ones that don't do music during the day they just are like a like a, a postal worker or you know just something they don't have to think about during the mm -hmm. day and then that keeps a roof over their head it keeps them from like being stressed out and then at night or on the weekends or three nights a week or whatever they make whatever kind of music they want and he's like those those he's like when i talk to people the happy ones are like that and uh, you know, in sort of the, in the meantime ones. And like, who knows, like if you're doing that, you've got the, the day job and you're doing like awesome work nights and weekends or whenever, whenever it needs to be done. And you start getting, you know, three, four, five, six movies under your belt or whatever. I don't know how many you have now, but like say six more, then you're building a relationship with those directors and, you know, maybe they're going to talk and you're networking and you just like slowly, build like in a, in a spiral. I see it as like an ascending spiraling out from the center where you're just doing, or another way I talk about it is like starting a campfire. Like if you need to start a campfire and you've only got one match, which is essentially the equivalent of like your marketing budget is basically nothing. It's basically, it's going to be like elbow <laughs> grease. A so lot of like, prep. Yeah. Yeah. So that you've got a match. So what do you have to do? You got to do a lot of prep. Exactly. You got to get some, you know, like fuzz from the dryer and then a little bit of mm -hmm. wood shavings <laughs> and then some tinder and then kindling and then, you know, at the small branches, then larger branches and then split logs and then logs and then whole trees. And you can't just put a match on a tree and think it's going to catch on fire. Not, I'm not saying you do, but um, it's like this spiral. You need to like the, the, the amount of effort that you can apply is only the size of a match. So you have to put it in really fertile, fertile, you know, real flammable I guess in this metaphor flammable territory for it to catch and just get a little bit bigger so it'll light the next thing on fire and then that'll light the next thing on fire so anyway that's that's how I kind of that's my like visual metaphor for it or simile I guess <laughs> yeah that's fantastic I I've, I've never thought about taking a match to a tree and the thought of it catching on fire Right. And the way that big it's brands like, do it is they throw gasoline all over the tree in the form of a marketing budget or an advertising <laughs> budget. And then one match will light Helps. the tree on yeah. fire. Yeah. It's like AT&T is now Verizon on every flat surface for two years. <laughs> yeah. In, in 19, gasoline. yeah, 19, whatever that was, 80, 98. 
yeah, that's gasoline or buying a Super Bowl. That's gasoline, but gasoline's really expensive and people like you and me don't have it. We've got a match. So, you know, it's like Seth Godin's minimum viable audience thing. But in, but now after this phone call, hopefully it's a little bit more obvious to you that your audience is directors, period, full stop. And no distractions with like other musicians or, you know, uh, you know, being a performer or stuff like that. Do you think, well, with my ability to make videos, is there anything that you see with that combination that I could use those skills with video for the purpose of growing director audiences? There like, be- is it worth making uh, lessons on uh, putting music to edits or, or editing and music, kind of the combination between the two? with me being kind of in both worlds? Uh, I don't think so. I think they're just it, more about the music. Yeah. It, 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 I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody who's like wildly successful in their field that doesn't even understand the basics of that. What I would consider the basics. Uh, but what they do understand that they're amazing at is delivering results. So I don't, I mean, I, I wouldn't completely rule it out, but it's not the first thing I would do. It's definitely sure, not the first sure. thing I would do. And everybody's got limited time and resources. So I would probably, I mean, the only thing I can think of that I feel like is a direct, um, direct, uh, directly applicable to maybe directors was if you're using your video skills to make short films that you then scored and the films weren't supposed to be great, but you made them, they actually, oh, check this out. What if you made crappy films? real bad and then you made them way better with amazing (laughs) scores so like you just do this goofy that's the greatest thing i've I've ever heard yeah that's that because that could go viral right right so yeah you could do like real dopey um like you could play it real serious like be super serious but it would be be so poorly uh, like i probably i would probably want to do a decent job recording the the dialogue if there was any or if it was just silent film kind of Mm -hmm. thing that'd be funny too uh, yeah. And then just do an amazing score for it. And then it's like, wow. Because then it's it kind of demonstrates how good, how much the music adds. Because even though this thing is like lame, uh, it's it, it's elevated by the music. And like, wow, if he can elevate this piece of garbage with the music, imagine what, what he do. could do for my amazing what film. My film, yeah. 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 I remember this that reminds me of a, a, an a... anecdote about... Um, I don't know where I would have seen this. It must've been a masterclass or something. And it was like for directors who were just starting out, it might've been David Lynch. It was David Lynch. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was David Lynch talking to young directors. And he was saying, um, if you have to choose between great lighting and visuals and great audio, pick audio every time. He was like, because if the visuals are kind of grainy or not that great, people will think it's artsy. But if the audio stinks, they'll be like, oh, interesting student film. So I think you could actually get away with yeah. this, right? Do like, just do some, yeah. you know, block out some basic shots or do, um, maybe you could even steal stuff from like, not steal, but you know, like copy scenes from a movie or like classic tropes and do like a classic trope, little, you know, three page, you know, one, one page script and you and a friend or just like you and you do it yeah and then and then just put an amazing score to it it would be hilarious and awesome at the same time i think i think it would be interesting jumping off of that of taking notoriously bad films that people know about mm-hmm. and rescoring like um yeah i like it was that. the 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 birds copy uh i can't think of the name of it it was a terrible film though <laughs> i don't know the, the it, it's like cult following bad or uh 
the room. Uh, not familiar. Extremely terrible. <laughs> yeah. But, you... And all the filmmakers enjoy watching it because it, it, it makes us like die inside. Yeah. <laughs> just, just so that, that might be something fun that I would, that filmmakers would enjoy seeing something that they hate, but then with better music. Right. Like it's cert- if, certainly, if it saves it at all. Right. Certainly if the film was, was, if the music was really, really making it bad, like the music made it way worse. And, and then you just like, and you made it less worse. But I, I, there is something funny about like somebody shooting. I can picture like you shooting a, like an iPhone video, dead serious, but it's just not high quality. And then yeah. s- putting a real high quality score against it and being like, wow, you know, like <laughs> superhero. Do you remember superhero kid? I think it was called or a- action, of it. action hero kid, where it's like some guy that worked in Hollywood with after effects or something would just take these little home movies of his kid, you know, like playing with a, a toy lightsaber and a target. And it was yeah. just this, you know, VFX then, it like crazy. Then he would VFX it. And like the yeah. kid is like, sh- you know, knocking the shelves down and like, you know, catching stuff on fire. And it's kind of the same thing if you took like, um, you know, like shopping in Target or whatever or something like that. And there's like a little story to it or maybe it doesn't even need the story. But uh, yeah, and you just score it real dramatically. It'd be hilarious. I think I'm going to go out and buy a, a like a handy cam right mm. now. Mm. Just like the cheapest old thing I can find. That'd be cool. Four by three. It's mm. it's going to be. I'm going to have a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Nice. I like this because it's permissionless. You don't have to. It's a permissionless yeah. project. You don't have to convince anybody anything. You just go do it. Yeah. Maybe you'll you beat the 15 million views. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I think mm-hmm. it'd be fun. Cool. Well, hopefully that has helped somewhat. Yeah, no, this is this, uh, this is gold. Oh, cool. Love it. All right. Well, it's it's 5:11 on a long weekend, so we should probably wrap up. Yeah. Um yeah where should people go let's say that there's some directors listening where should people go to find out more about mason bain the mason bain (laughs) sure sure uh it's uh masonscottbain.com scott with two t's for some reason i've I've misspelled my middle name a lot but it's it's not oo it's s-o-t s-e-o-t-t i don't know how i miss you know miss miss uh misspelled my middle name but (laughs) not to be confused with yeah. Mason Scoot. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good name too. Yeah. Well, all right, folks, that's it for this time. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. The next time someone asks you for your hourly rate, I want you to stop what you're doing and go over to valuepricingbootcamp.com to sign up for my free value pricing email course. That URL again is valuepricingbootcamp.com. Hope to see you there. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.